Okay, well, Shabbat Shalom. I want to welcome you all to the grand opening uh, of our new building. Hallelujah. And we are so excited to be here in this beautiful, spacious, state-of-the-art building. I'm so grateful to Life Central Church uh, for their warm hospitality, for their kind assistance. And as you know, we're now in a, we've been in a verse-by-verse series uh, on the Gospel of Mark. Today is part nine of our continuing series. Today we're going to look at Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20, uh, and the parable of the sower and the seeds. So turn with me to, to Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, and we'll have it on the overhead as well. Yeshua taught the people many things by parables, and in, in, in his teachings had this. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering his seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they didn't bear grain. So other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Yeshua said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked about the parables. He told them, The secret of the Malkut HaShemayim, the kingdom of God, has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything said in parables. So that, now he's quoting Isaiah, They may be ever seeing, but never perceiving. And ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Yeshua said to them, Don't you understand this parable? Uh, How then do you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word sown. As soon as they hear it, Hasatan, Satan, comes and, and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others are like seed sown on rocky places. They hear the word and they receive it at once with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. Now, when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they fall away. So others, like seed among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things, come in and choke the word and make it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times that which was sown. Now, hearing the word of God, if you really take it in and allow the Holy Spirit to convict you, this should always make you aware of the fact that you are just a shadow of what you ought to be. Just a shadow of what you know you should be. When we really soberly reflect on our life, we all know we've got to change. We are so far from what we ought to be. Now, Yeshua, in this passage, tells us how he can change your life. And he says, I can change your life if you recognize that my gospel, my word, the basic message of what I came to do is a seed. A seed I'm sowing into the soil of your heart. I'm going to have this on the overhead. Oh, please. I'm sorry, the overhead. There you got it. Thank you. And if you receive it as a seed and you understand it as a seed... That will change your life. Now, now why does Yeshua liken his gospel, his word, his message of salvation, why does he liken it to a seed? 
three reasons uh, on the overhead. Three reasons. Uh, he likens the gospel to a seed, number one, because it has power. Number two, because of how it releases that power. And number three, because its weakness is the secret of its power. The gospel is a seed because it has power, how it releases that power, and because its, its secret is the, uh, its weakness is the secret of its power. So let's look at these three points, because embracing this is what will change your life. First, we learn here the word of God, the gospel is like a seed because it has power. In Genesis 1, we see God creating with his word. Now notice, it, it, it doesn't say, let there be light, uh, and then he goes, goes and does something uh, to make light. No, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Because God's word creates. It's a word of power. It immediately affects what it expresses. But God's word that only has creative power also has recreative power. There are passages in James and 1 Peter uh, that pick up on this theme of the gospel word being like a seed. So look at James 1.18. We read this. He chose to give us new birth through the word of truth. So humbly accept the word planted in you, which is able to save you. And 1 Peter 1.23. You've been born again, not by perishable seed, but by imperishable seed, Namely, the living and enduring word of God. That's the imperishable seed. So what Yeshua and James and Peter are all saying is that the word of God, the gospel, is more than just information. It's power. It's like a seed. And when the seed is planted in good soil, it releases that power. In contrast, say you take uh, glass or, or metal or stones and you plant them in the ground. And you water them, and you fertilize them. Nothing is going to happen. They can't grow. Because they don't have the power of life in them. They don't have biological life in them. When we talk about the word of God being a seed, what Yeshua is trying to say is that it's got inherent power. Because it has the power of spiritual life within it. The very life of God comes to you through your acceptance and trust in and understanding of the word. Your trust in the gospel. Because it, has, it has the power to come into you. Uh, and release the very life of God in you. And otherwise you do not have it. Uh, so if this is how we get life. Uh, is the Bible saying that, that prior to receiving the gospel. Is the Bible saying we don't have life? That we're dead? Basically yes. <laughs> now. We don't know all kinds of different kinds of orders of life. Uh, and there's plant life, there's animal life, there's human life. Not no plants are alive. But if an animal, through some kind of injury, is brought back to the level of a plant, uh, the animal can't see or, or move or hear. Well, at the animal level, that's not living. Uh, and animals are alive. But if a human being, uh, through an injury, is brought back to the level of an animal, they can no longer think and reason at the human level. That's not living. Because each order of life experiences more of reality. That's why each one is a higher order. Uh, it sees more of reality. Plants have sensation. Uh, they can sense light and wind, heat and cold. But they have no sense of sight or hearing that, that animals have. Animals have all the five senses we have, but they can't discern between cruelty and justice. Uh, they can't discern between right and wrong. Uh, they can't 
sense certain realities that we as human beings know are there. So this ascending order of creation sees more and more of reality. So with this background, what is Yeshua saying to us? When Yeshua says the word of God comes into you and gives you eternal life, what he's saying is that the word of God has the power, the ability to initiate you into a higher order of life. Spiritual life. And you see a reality you've never seen before. The overhead. As Hamlet says, there are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in your philosophy, Horatio. And this new spiritual life comes into you through the gospel. Uh, and shows you all kinds of things that are really there, but you've never seen before. Uh, and that others can't see. Uh, who haven't gotten that power. Who don't have that spiritual life. I'm talking about being able to see and understand and experience things like the holiness of God. The love of God. Heaven and hell. The future resurrection. The redemption of Yeshua. The new birth. The filling of the Holy Spirit. Before you get this life, either you don't believe in these things at all, they're, they're just nonsense to you, or you believe in them, but they were just kind of theoretical abstractions to you. Uh, they weren't real. On the overhead, but when the power of God comes in, when life comes into you, and you're initiated into a whole new order of life, what happens is that these things now become real, become solid, vivid, controlling, affecting, beautiful, living, vibrant, powerful, experiential, melt-in-your-mouth, sweet realities for you. For example, most people in America still say that they believe in God. But when you get in trouble, real trouble, is the wisdom of God, the power of God, the goodness of God, such a reality that you can actually press into the Lord to fortify yourself against that trouble? Or do you just panic and fear and, and freak out? You see, you're going to freak out if you have just a theoretical belief in God and His goodness. And therefore, when trouble comes to you, you can't handle it. Because there's no real relationship with the Lord for you to fall back on. And no fruit in your life to demonstrate the reality of that ongoing, vibrant, life-giving relationship. And so, because these spiritual realities, uh, this life in Messiah, uh, isn't real to you, when troubles or disappointments or failures come, you're going to freak out uh, and flip out uh, and panic and despair and have a crisis in your faith. So, as our text describes, you must receive the word into your heart and be initiated into this whole new order of life. So let's say you fail at something, or you sin badly, or you experience rejection, or, or, or deadly criticism. How do you handle it? Most people, they believe in a God of love, but is the Father's love of you, in Messiah, of his delight in you, by uh, the applause of God, the accolades of God, is God's love of you, in Yeshua, more real to you than the criticism, or the failure, or, or the rejection, or your shortcoming? Is God's love for you in Yeshua sweet? Is it powerful? Is it glorious and beautiful? Does it affect you and transform you? And bear fruit in you? Is it real to you? 
Is it real? If, if it is real to you, you can handle anything. Because you've been initiated into this higher order of life. But if not, if the idea of God's love uh, is just an abstraction to you, then, then you've just battled everybody else uh, at the mercy of the world and the flesh and the devil. So ask yourself today, has this new order of life in Yeshua happened to me? Ask yourself, has this really happened to me? And if the word of God, this seed, uh, the gospel comes into you, not just as information, but as power, and begins to release its power in you, and initiate you into this new order of life, you can tell it's happened. Because of the fruit that you will bear. Uh, you will change. But it's organic growth, not, not mechanical growth. Now, throughout the book of Mark, Yeshua is constantly in conflict with religion uh, and with the religious leaders. In fact, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Uh, he's, he, he came to abolish religion. On the overhead, religion is I obey and therefore God accepts me. And now due to my, due to my obedience, uh, he owes me. But the gospel is the opposite. The gospel is God accepts me through the person and work of Yeshua. And he changes me. And therefore, now I obey. Now, religion and the gospel will both produce change. But one will produce it mechanically and one organically. So what do I mean by, by mechanically? Imagine there's a pile of bricks up here on the stage. Can I grow that pile of bricks? Sure. Yes, I can. Just throw more bricks on top. <laughs> but is that organic growth? No. In the same way, religion will change you, but only mechanically. In religion, you've got all these things to do, uh, and things to learn, doctrines to learn, uh, classes, uh, busyness, uh, activities, performance, rituals, pilgrimages, observances. You grow, but it's mechanical growth. In contrast, organic growth doesn't grow like a pile of bricks, and you throw more bricks on top of it. No. Organic growth, it's like a bulb growing into a tulip. It's organic. It's from the inside out. It's a living organism becoming more and more complex and more and more rich and beautiful. And the way you know you've got this organic growth is you're not just getting busier and doing more external things. Instead, you're getting wiser. Uh, and and, and, and uh, richer in your knowledge and, and, and deeper uh, and more loving and joyful uh, and more patient and kind and gentle and long-suffering and self-controlled. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit. So ask yourself today, has this happened to me? So you find on the one hand, you're, you're getting stronger and more resilient and at the same time, you're also getting more feeling and more sensitive to others. Uh, you've got more, you're more confident and more bold, at the same time, more humble, uh, and less self-centered, and less self-focused. And you become more generous, uh, and able to love people who are different than you. Uh, and you become more and more forgiving of others. If that's happened to you, that's organic growth. Uh, and it's a sign of the power of the word of the, of the living God working and growing within you. Romans 1.16. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Do you hear that? Paul doesn't say the gospel has power 
or brings power or results in power. No, he says it is the power. It's the power of God in verbal form. Uh, and, and so, yes, the gospel includes uh, something that you master and you listen to and you know and you learn and obey. But it's infinitely so much more than that. Uh, it's a supernatural spiritual power. Have you felt that? Have you experienced that? Has it transformed you? Has the gospel started working in your life as a power and not just information? Have you experienced that life-changing personal relationship with Yeshua? Have you felt the Lord dealing with you, pursuing you, calling you, coming after you? So on the overhead, number one, the gospel of, of, of the word is likened to a seed because it has life-giving power. Uh, number two, it's likened to a seed because of the way in which it releases uh, that power. This gospel word, word, it releases its life in you the way that a seed releases its life. A seed releases its power by going in deep. Uh, seeds release their power only if they go in deep. Look at the three soils uh, that, that don't produce. The first three soils that don't produce the organic growth. Uh, they, they don't actually receive the life-giving power of the seed. What's their problem? In all three cases, it's a depth problem. The first soil doesn't produce any life because the seed it doesn't go in at all. The second soil doesn't produce life because the seed doesn't go in deep enough. And the third, with the third soil, the seed it goes in deep, but it goes in at the same level of the weeds and the thorns. Other concerns choke out the life of the seed. Other concerns are just as important to this person as the gospel. Yeshua is not number one in their life. And in all three cases, the gospel doesn't go in deep enough into your heart. Uh, as your number one priority and concern and passion uh, and commitment, where Yeshua is your life. Uh, and think of this metaphor of, of sowing seeds. It's a gentle process to sow seeds in the soil. You don't get out a pickaxe or, or a power drill uh, and drill into the ground. No, you deposit the seed into the ground. It's a very gradual process for the seed to germinate. Uh, and you don't see immediate results at the moment you plant the seed. So what's Yeshua saying here? He says, the way this incredible power is released into your life, uh, the way you get initiated into this whole new order of life, uh, is by taking the seed, the word of God, the gospel, and listening, and thinking, and reflecting, and wrestling, and discussing, and applying it over and over again. Working it into the soil of your heart. The gospel isn't something that does something to you uh, without you. You don't just passively sit back and say, Lord, zap me. <laughs> you work it into the soil of your heart by listening to and reflecting on the gospel. By reading and meditating on the scriptures. Uh, by wrestling with the truth claims of Yeshua. By discussing it with others. Uh, the seed of God's word, it's planted into the soil of your heart by hearing. The truth goes by hearing, uh, by understanding. But God using his word to reveal himself to you and convict you and draw you to himself. That's how this incredible power is released into your life. Here's two illustrations. In Galatians 2, we've got these two apostles arguing with each other, uh, having a disagreement, uh, Peter and Paul. And we see Paul confronting Peter. Uh, when Peter draws away from the Gentile converts, he won't eat or fellowship with them. Why did Peter do this? 
Well, his traditional Jewish training deeply ingrained in him that the Jews were to separate from the Gentiles uh, and not mix with them. That the Gentiles were spiritually unclean. Now, when members of the so-called circumcision party uh, of the Orthodox Jewish believers came to Galatia, uh, they pressured him, and Peter drew back. So now Paul comes to confront and rebuke Peter for how he was acting toward his Gentile brothers in the Lord. Now, there were several different ways Paul could have done this. For example, Paul could have rightly said, Peter, racism is a sin. Racism is against God's law. You're guilty of violating the no racism rule. But even though that's true, that's not how Peter, uh, it's not how Paul goes after Peter. Because that would only work on Peter's will. It was only an only mechanical change. But Paul wanted to work on Peter's heart and produce organic change. So what does Paul say? Look at Galatians 2.14. Paul says, Peter, you're not walking in line with the truth of the gospel. Paul says to Peter, think of the, of the gospel of grace. You were saved, Peter, by sheer grace. And that eliminates superiority. That eliminates pride and judgmentalism. That eliminates racism. Peter, the gospel hasn't gone deep enough into you yet. It hasn't captured your imagination. It hasn't controlled your heart. It's not controlling your thinking. It's not controlling the reality of your life. It hasn't gone deep enough. Work it in, Peter. Work it in. Think out the implications of the gospel, how it should change everything about you. How you think, your worldview, your priorities, uh, your morals and values, uh, your reasoning, your emotions and your reactions, uh, your choices and decision-making. It has to change everything. Paul says, the insecurity that racism always needs to feed off of, uh, whereby we need to bolster our own self-image, it's still too much in you, Peter. You need to work in the glory of the infinite beauty of God's grace deeper and deeper within your heart. Note that Paul, he doesn't go after Peter's will. He doesn't hammer him from the outside. Instead, he says, think and walk out the implications of the truth of the gospel. Push the gospel down until it catches fire and explodes and you get new life. Now, that's very different from the way in which religion works. Also very different from the way most of us try to change our own life or others. Here's another illustration, second illustration. This is from uh, C.S. Lewis. Uh, during his life, people would always write to him these letters and say, Oh, you wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, you're a Christian artist. Uh, how wonderful. How do you do it? And on the overhead, uh, he wrote back and he said this, C.S. Lewis. He says, Some people think, I began by asking myself, How can I say something about Christianity to children? Uh, and then I then uh, fixed on fairy tales as an instrument to do it. And then I collected information about child psychology. Then I decided which age group I would write for. Then I drew up a list of basic Christian truths, and I hammered out symbols uh, to embody those truths. What utter moonshine. <laughs> I couldn't write like that. If you want to be a children's author, don't ask what children or readers want. Don't even ask what children or readers need. Never start with a moral and then try to come up with a story to fit it. Rather, let the images and the stories that come into your mind and move you tell you their own moral. For the moral inherent within them will rise from whatever spiritual roots you succeeded in striking you in through the whole course of your life. Wow. Here's what he's saying. 
He says, don't say, uh, uh, here are, are these morals and these biblical truths uh, that I want to get across. Let me find some stories or some works of art uh, that, will, that will do this for me. No, he says that will produce terrible art. <laughs> uh, it'll be awful. It'll be sanctimonious. Uh, it'll be pedantic. It'll be bad art. Instead, he says something like this not on the overhead. Oh, Christian artist. Oh, messianic artist. Have you worked the gospel down to the roots of your life? Every aspect of the gospel narrative. For example, uh, the, 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 the truth that death leads to resurrection. That incarnation leads to the redemption of creation. That the nature of God is a triune dance of joy. Has every aspect of the gospel story sunk so deep into the very roots of your life that then the images that come to you in your painting or, or the melodies that come to you in your composition or the stories that come to you in your writing that, that move you, they simply bubble up out of that. In other words, instead of starting with biblical themes and trying to come up with art to get that across, you work the gospel down deep into your heart. And then the art that comes up will inherently be biblically based. And will be far better art. Far deeper and more meaningful and more impactful art. Because if as an artist you've truly worked the gospel down deep into your soul, then you can trust your imagination with what it produces. As you yield and you submit your gift to God. Now, of course, this is not only true of artists and composers and, and writers. It's true of all of us. Have you worked the gospel down so deep into your heart that you can now trust your instincts? That's how the gospel gives life. It is a seed. It has to go all the way down to your roots. And the more you draw close to God and meditate on his word, the deeper the seed goes, and the more the life of Yeshua then comes into your life. So in the overview. Number one, uh, the gospel word is, is, is a, like a seed because it has power. Number two, it's likened to a seed because the way in which it releases that power within you, i.e. by going deep. And number three, finally, the gospel is likened to a seed because paradoxically, its weakness is its strength. Think about the image Yeshua has chosen here in Mark chapter 4 to represent the word of God. The image he's chosen to represent the gospel. He doesn't choose, although he could have, these are all images of the Word of God in the Hebrew Scriptures. He doesn't choose the image of the Word of God as a hammer. He doesn't choose the image of the Word of God as fire. He doesn't choose the image of the Word of God as a sword. Instead, he chooses the image of the Word of God as a seed. Now notice, a seed is weak. It's, it's a little thing. You don't drop a seed in the ground and shout, Bombs away! <laughs> no, you drop a seed and it's so small you can't even find it. And notice that three out of these four soils in this parable are inhospitable and they reject the seed. Three of the four soils reject the power of the gospel word. The first soil doesn't let it in at all. The second one is initially excited about Yeshua, but then what they really want are miracles and good times and for their needs to be met. The third person is focused on the things of this world, uh, and popularity, uh, and the approval of the world, and material goods of the world, and success and prosperity. And the seed of God is choked out on the overhead. Uh, in each of these three cases, of these first three types of soil, the people respond to the word with only extrinsic faith, not intrinsic faith. Extrinsic faith is serving God for what you can get. 
Serving God for what he can do for you. Serving God to get things. But intrinsic faith is serving God to get God. Serving God for his own sake. And the first three examples are people who, for various reasons, are not interested in Yeshua for who he is, but only for what they can get out of him. The first group gets nothing out of him. The second group gets something out of him, but they're not rooted in Yeshua, and they fall away when trouble comes. The third group gets a lot out of him, but Yeshua's not number one in their life. And the things in this world choke out uh, their shallow commitment to him. So there's only one group of people, this fourth group, where the gospel seed takes deep, abiding root and produces fruit in their life. True fruit. Mark 4, verse 11 says this. And it says, a lot of people did this, this verse. Yeshua told the disciples, the secret of God's kingdom has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything's said in parables. So that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Uh, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Uh, otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. So Yeshua, he's quoting Isaiah here. He sounds like he's saying, I'm speaking in parables, but they won't get it. But we have to understand the context. Yeshua is surrounded here, he's thronged here by people who want miracles. But they don't want him. They're not really interested in his gospel message. So what he's saying here is that when I tell parables, it's like a filter. The people who are really interested in me, the people who really want to figure it out, the people who feel the power of the word, who are open to the gospel, they come. Uh, and then we see in verse 10, they say, tell us, Yeshua, what this means. The rest of the crowd doesn't come. They don't ask. Only some people come and ask. And Yeshua says, you're the ones to whom I reveal the mystery of God's kingdom. The others, I filter out through parables. They don't care about my gospel message. Uh, I tell them a parable. Why? To test them and to challenge them. And you know what they say? They say, yeah, 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 Yeshua, very interesting now let's get back to the miracles. <laughs> forget the sermon. Forget the scripture readings uh, and the prayers. Forget the worship set. Let's get back to the miracle part of the service. <laughs> but some people were struck by Yeshua's message. And they wanted more. So they asked him, what does this mean? But here's the point. Very few came and asked. The seed on the surface, it seems so weak. It's not a hammer, it's not a fire, it's not a sword, which are, again are also metaphors for the word of God in the scriptures. A hammer crushes its opposition. Fire blasts the opposition. A sword slashes through the resistance. But a seed, it seems so weak. Why would Yeshua characterize the gospel as something so weak? But if we think about this a bit further, we can see now that seeds have a paradoxical weakness and strength. Take an acorn. Within that little acorn is everything necessary to grow a huge oak tree. Right? And then out of that tree uh, uh, comes hundreds and hundreds of other acorns. Every one of these trees in turn produces hundreds of acorns themselves and on and on and on. So a single acorn has the power within it to cover the entire face of the earth in wood. No hammer, no fire, no sword has the power to do that. And yet, you could stick that little acorn on the ground and crush it easily and it's gone. So seed represents both power and weakness. D. Campbell Morgan tells this great story 
He was in Italy once, and he went to a graveyard, and he saw a very old grave, centuries old, and over the grave of this rich man was this enormous thick slab of marble. It an acorn had fallen into the grave, and over the centuries had grown up and up and up, and became a huge oak tree that cracked the marble slab and rolled it off into two pieces. A tiny acorn. You, if you would have dropped it on the slab, nothing would have happened. But you give it a chance to release the power that's inherent within it, and it could do something that a team of horses could not do. Note also that in this parable, every soil represents a particular group of people as they respond to Yeshua on the overhead. The first soil are the Pharisees and the religious leaders. They reject Yeshua. The second soil are the crowds. Uh, they're happy with Yeshua, but only as long as he's doing his miracles. The third soil is our, his own family. Uh, we're upset with him. In fact, they're losing face and honor. And, and they're experiencing shame due to being associated with him. So this parable of the soils is, is not just a parable about how people respond to the word. Uh, it's also about how people respond to Yeshua himself. Now why does Yeshua characterize the word of God, the gospel, as a seed? Again, note that he, did, he Yeshua didn't come to this earth as a hammer or a fire or a sword. Yeshua says in Matthew 20, 28, The Son of Man did not come to judge, but to be, uh, but to be judged. And he gave his life as a ransom for many. He came not to be served, uh, but to serve others. He came not to be strong, but to be weak and die on the overhead. Why? Because seeds only release their power if they fall into the ground and die. Yeshua says in John 12, 24, Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies... It bears much fruit. If Yeshua had come as a hammer or a fire or a sword, we would all be dead meat. But instead, he comes as the ultimate seed. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before Yeshua's crucifixion, he's facing infinite suffering. He's facing cosmic abandonment. He's going to pay the penalty for your sins and mine. As our substitute, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And even the hint of that uh, uh, the foretaste of that, it smote the eternal Son of God to the ground as he prepares for his ultimate sacrifice. And he was in such shock uh, at seeing the cup of God's wrath that he must drink that he sweats great drops of blood. Blood uh, comes out of his pores uh, and the overhead. He looks up to heaven and he cries out, Is there any other way? And the Father's answer is this. My life cannot be released in them and as you become a seed. And as you, Yeshua, go into the ground and die. And he did. And he says in Luke twenty two forty two, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And Yeshua takes the cup and he drains it to the dregs. He goes to the cross. He suffers and he dies for us. Taking on the punishment for our sins. He becomes voluntarily weak. For us, he becomes the seed that goes into the ground and dies on the overhead. But that is the secret of gospel power. Because the power of the word is the weakness of the Lord. And if you see him doing that for you, 
Have you embraced the gospel and see the beauty of Yeshua's voluntary weakness for you that comes into your life? That's the power that will change you. Because with the weakness of the Lord, paradoxically, is the power of His Word. And nothing else will change you like that. Nothing else will change you like seeing the beauty of His weakness for you. His willingness to become the ultimate seed. So for example, let's go back to a moment, a moment there to Peter and Paul. Paul rebukes Peter. What does he say? Again, he could have said, Peter, stop being a racist against these Gentiles. Now where does racism come from? It comes from a fear in your heart that causes you to want to bolster your own self-image by looking down on others. It comes from fear and insecurity. If Paul had come to Peter and said, you better stop being a racist or God's going to get you, which is, by the way, how we often try to change others <laughs> and ourselves. But if we say this often, we're trying to, to, to uh, change ourselves and others by, by using fear to deal with fear. If Paul had said that, he would have really been dealing, how he would have been dealing with that fear? Would he, would he really have been getting rid of the fear? No. That approach only stirs it up. Uh, it artificially, temporarily squelches it down by jerking it. Paul would have been using fear to squelch fear. Paul would have been saying, in essence, Peter, I want you to fear me uh, and my peer group and what we're gonna, how we're going to shame you uh, and guilt you into compliance. I want you to fear that more than you're fearing other things. And so the next thing you know, Peter all of a sudden adopts these enlightened views on race. But he would have done so out of fear and pride, out of a desire to fit in. And the fear that his heart uh, is driving him to would not have actually changed his heart from within. It would just have restrained his heart. It's just been rearranged, his desires. But that's not what Paul does, right? Instead, he says to Peter, you're not living in line with the gospel. Think of Peter, of what Yeshua did for you. He was excluded for you. He was crucified outside the gate for you. So how can you, Peter, exclude anybody? Yeshua loves you. Why would you need to bolster your self-image by discriminating against anybody? Take the beauty of his weakness into your life, and that's the power that will change you, Peter. The power of the gospel. Take the beauty of what Yeshua has done for you into your heart, and you, you don't need to put other people down or other groups down or exclude, to, or exclude yourself from them or distance yourself from them. Let the beauty of what Yeshua has done for you capture your imagination. Let it control your heart. Let it control the reality of your life. That's how the power of the gospel seed works. You take it in. You receive it with a committed heart. And over time it bears much fruit. But it's the weakness of the Lord, paradoxically, that's the power of the word. And once firmly planted in you by repentance and faith, it will begin to change you from the inside out. It changes your motivations it changes your attitudes. It changes your priorities. It changes the inside structure of your heart. So it's organic growth, not mechanical growth. Do you see that happening today in your life? During this Pesach season, remember that at one time you were an alien. You were alienated from God in your sin. You were a foreigner to the family of God. You were outside God's kingdom. Uh, in your trespasses and sins. And the Lord, through the blood of Yeshua, brought you out of that bondage 
to sin. Uh, and rescued you out of that alienation to God. And brought you near. Brought you into his loving presence. Into his family. Into a personal relationship with him. And think about how that happened. How the Lord brought you out of the slavery to this world. He became an alien. He became crucified outside the gate. So now Yeshua says, I did this for you. I became an alien for you. I was cast out so that you could be brought in. I was thrown out of my own city so you could become a member of God's family. That's the power of the seed. The power of the word of God. It is living and active and more powerful than any two-edged sword. But again, paradoxically, the power of the seed is the weakness of the Lord. He came on Pesach. He came on Passover. Not as some great conquering king, but as a suffering servant. As the Lamb of God. To shed his blood for our sins. To forgive us, to bring us into his kingdom. If we will repent and submit our lives to him. And once we do this, we realize that it's his willingness to become weak for me. That is the power that changes me from the very root. And it makes me want to, not have to, but want to embrace others. Others who are different from me. Some I don't obey God's word because I have to, or because I'm guilted into it, but because I want to. Why? Because the spirit of Messiah, God's law, is not written on my heart. My new creation heart. As John Newton said, the gospel transforms a slave into a child. And duty into choice. This passage in Mark 4 ends on a note of triumph. Because even though three of the four soils uh, resist the power of the word, the last soil produces good fruit. Uh, abundant, abundant crop, 30, 60, 100 fold. That's supernatural. Even today's agricultural techniques uh, can't produce that kind of yield. How does this last soil do it? Yeshua is telling us that it's supernatural. If you let the word of God into your heart, it produces supernatural results. And so I don't care what kind of marble slab is over your heart today. I don't care what kind of addiction. I don't care uh, what kind of fear. I don't care what kind of alienation. I don't care what kind of past failures you've had in your life. I don't care how messed up you are today on the inside. If you allow the seed of the gospel, of Yeshua's death and resurrection for you, into your heart. It has the power to crack that marble slab and to roll the stone away from your heart, to replace your heart of stone, to give you a heart of flesh that's tender and open to the Lord and His love. And the secret of the power of the Word is the weakness of the Lord, His willingness to voluntarily lay down His life for you. Second Corinthians 5.21 He who knew no sin... God made to be sin for you, so that you might become the righteousness of God in Him. This Passover week, as we dedicate this new building, we are blessed to, to be uh, renting here. Let us dedicate uh, and rededicate our lives to Yeshua, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Amen. Let's stand and pray. Let the music team come on up. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for this Pesach week. We thank you for your word, which you tell us is like a seed. Lord, you tell us your gospel word has divine power uh, and creative uh, and a recreative force within it uh, of life pulsating within it. Father, sow this gospel seed into the soil of my heart today. 
Prepare our hearts to receive it, Lord, with joy uh, and conviction and acceptance and faith and submission to it. And thanksgiving that it may take deep root and produce much fruit. Yeshua, we thank you that we are born again by the imperishable seed of your word. The living and enduring word of God. Uh, that's living and active and more powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. That's able to discern the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. Yeshua, your gospel word and your gospel word alone is able to initiate us into this whole new order of life. Life with, with a capital L. Spiritual life. Life with you. Lord Yeshua, help me to grow organically from within. In the fruit of your spirit. Help me, Lord, for your life flowing and pulsating within me. To be, for me to become more loving. And more joyful. More faithful. Uh, more kind and gentle. More patient and more forgiving. Uh, more long-suffering and self-controlled. Yeshua, thank you. You came in weakness as a seed. A seed that goes into the ground and dies. You came as a suffering servant. You came not to judge, uh, but to be judged. Not to serve, uh, but uh, not to be served, but to serve. But within that seeming weakness is infinite strength and power. You save through weakness. As a suffering servant, you atone for our sins as we repent and trust in you. For you are the Passover lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And we pray this all in your name, Hashem Yeshua. Amen. Shabbat shalom. Amen.